0: And welcome to the Founding Mothers Podcast, where we're imagining new ways of living with one another and our planet. I'm your host, Emily Reese. Today, we will be speaking with Lorena Nascimento. Lorena is an educator working with environmental justice, urban forestry, community engagement, and data empowerment. Originally from Brazil, Lorena moved to Portland, Oregon to pursue a PhD in urban studies.
1: It's important that the government take uh, accountability for that because if you invest on in that, if we educate people about harm reduction, you can save money later in public health, and you can use money for public health to prevent accidents as overdose, or people like panicking and going to emergency room, just freaking out. Harm reduction is education about drugs, so people, because the war on drugs doesn't, it's been proven, it doesn't work.
0: In her dissertation, she described the Western criminalization, acculturation, and cultural appropriation of Black and Indigenous values regarding cultural ecosystem services. Cultural ecosystem services include knowledge systems, spirituality, and recreation, such as the values promoted by entheogen substances. These values have been perpetuated in Black and Indigenous ancestrality, but law enforcement and drug war criminalized traditional rituals in communities of color. Lorena's interests in the drug policy field include safe entheogen accessibility and equity on the regulation of psychedelics to rescue ancestral values in communities of color. As a geospatial data analyst, she is looking for opportunities that include education, research, and support of new narratives for entheogen accessibility. Welcome, Lorena. I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So could we start by you just sharing a bit about yourself and also the People of Color Psychedelic Collective? Sure.
1: So I'm Lorena Nacimento, my doctor in urban studies, my GIS instructor, and I'm Brazilian. I'm actually in Brazil now, <laughs> but I've been living in the United States in Portland for seven years. And in Portland, I connect with the Brazilian community, so I'm kind of community organized in an informal way, I organize some events and just gather the community together to build a sense of community, especially for immigrants. And I'm happy to be here. I'm passionate about podcast, And I like to be productive. I like to express my creativity, try new things. And that's kind of how I connected the People of Color Psychedelic Collective in 2020. That was actually during COVID, the quarantine. I connected them a little before we started the lockdown. And I started to connect with the nonprofit more during the quarantine time. And that's good. Like I'm immigrant, so immigrant life kind of like far from home. And I don't have family in the United States, so I feel like I need to be responsible, accountable. And drug psychedelics help me with that, especially cannabis and mushroom. And with the People of Color Psychedelic Collective, I found a community. Even though I initially was during all remote, it was great to be able to share my narrative, to find a safe space. The People of Color Psychedelic Collective is an educational and community building organization. So we organize webinars and I participate in a couple of them, either organizing or speaking. During COVID, I talk in the psychedelic healing for people of color sharing my experience as a panelist, and it's like a building capacity as an organization to educate and to help other people to navigate through harm reductions, to also be able to tell the narratives in psychedelics, especially for people of color. We also work with other community partners. It's been great to be part of this organization and be able to share, to educate people and to allow people to share the narrative.
0: So it sounds like for your own story, in particular, the community was a huge aspect. And so I know that that, as you're saying, is one of the branches that the People of Color Psychedelic Collective work on. Can you share a bit more about the origin story and how this collective came to be?
1: Yes, sure. So I joined a little later after they started, it started as like a casual online meetup, like Zoom meetings. And the first one was organized by Vicent Rado and Duane David. And then Ife Tayo Harvey took the responsibility of keeping the meetings going on. And in 2008, we partnered with the DC Psychedelic Society and Philly Psychedelic Society in a panel discussion called Dismanting Psychedelic Patriarchy. And in 2018, they also partnered with the Cosmo Ancestralis Visionalis to organize a fundraiser to Maria Sabina and raise $10,000 dollars. And when I joined 2020 and then we'll be organizing webinars, a couple webinars that we did in the past years, we had a group of people that coming from different perspectives, different identities, and we are using different types of psychedelics, and each one sharing their stories regarding like use of psychedelics for mental health, to connect with ancestrality. During the pandemic, there's also one webinars about cultural appropriation and psychedelics. That was one webinar that helped me with my dissertation. So I was able to connect more the use of ecosystem services, especially plant medicine and entheogens, and, and how there's sometimes cultural appropriation with psychedelics. Drug use during COVID-19, another webinar that we talk about, harm reduction, which is an important conversation. Psychedelics and grief, which is especially one with people of color, being targeted from police brutality, and also talk about the use of psychedelics to support mental health and grief. Drugs, alcohol, and culture, this one's available on YouTube. And talking where psilocybin, mezcal, and cannabis meet, an exchange about Mexican and American culture. And After War, which was an event that happened the last month in New York, which is like a music, art, and drug policy discussion, other type of events that, of color psychedelic also organized
0: amazing so there's a lot of education i'm hearing in this and also again that community aspect to share stories and and i would imagine being seen and heard in that aspect so i'm sure that there's listeners here who either there's a range right who folks who have experience with psychedelics and some who may not be as familiar so i'm curious if you could define the range of psychedelics that you all talk about or are working with as medicine
1: Yes, this is, a, is an interesting question, especially now psychedelics is so high and it can even sometimes generate some discrimination, like what type of psychedelics? Some could be like cool psychedelics or they can be like not so cool drugs. So think about hard drugs, like historically people that might have been used of hard drugs, create space, create a readiness for the psychedelic scenes that we have today. So one of the goals of the institution is talk about harm reduction, no matter what drugs we are talking about. Either it's like psychedelics like mushrooms, acid, or if you're talking about like hard drugs like cocaine or heroin, especially for people of color, and I can tell from my perspective about, about drug use and psychedelics. Sometimes we live in a world that is not designed for us with the structural racisms and all the challenges that people of color have to deal with on their daily life. So drugs, at least for me, they can help to dissociate a little bit. And then we can imagine a new world and sometimes we just need to go on a routine. And each body works in a different way. I was talking to my family when they know that I'm getting more into drug policy, and they were Asking me, oh, is this drug? It's like cannabis, is it good for me? How old is is good? What is the age rent? So there is no receipt. Each body is different. Each culture is different. You can take drugs for different use. Maybe you can take drugs to connect to your ancestrality for spiritual use maybe want to take for dissociate to go through some trauma, for recreation with friends, and they can work differently in different bodies. So as institutions, one of our goals is to educate, to protect people of color, to promote events that people can share the narratives, can share the experiences, and that can help people that are maybe getting to psychedelics that they feel they cannot find identity in other organizations of psychedelics. So we don't discriminate. We like to provide help for whoever needs, either drugs or psychedelics. However, people want to call it entheogens. There are big discussions about vocabulary for psychedelic, but we don't discriminate, and we just want to empower people that have been using psychedelics drugs to live and to normalize the use and think about harm reduction, even if you're doing microdosing. But to educate and to create space for that.
0: Yeah, so something that's really jumping out to me, there's a couple of things. One, the pro- appropriation that you're speaking about and also reducing the harm. And so can you describe a bit what is not working culturally
1: or just like in society around these drugs and psychedelics? Yeah, one of the things is the harm reduction. In the United States, especially in Portland, where I live, is more open conversation about that. The less measure depends on the elections in Oregon that uh, discriminalize all drugs. There is a a start like conversation. So you're not going to blame the person who is using drugs. And following up to that, it's good to have testing centers so people can, especially like street drugs. Like with cannabis, with the legalization, you can see how much THC, how much CBD, what type of weed you're buying when it's legal. So that's one example of harm reduction so people can know what they're buying. So if you want to Use cannabis to sleep, you're going to search for one indica strain. If you want to use cannabis to go for a hike, maybe you want to use a sativa strain. So with the legalization, there is a way to have harm reduction. If you don't want to smoke, you want to eat, if you have some lung problems. So that's one type of harm reduction. With street drugs, you can have testing centers, distribution of, I forgot the name, uh, to avoid overdose. NAR, I forgot the name in English.
0: Is it Narcon?
1: Narcon, yes. So distribute that to people who have access to that to avoid the increase of overdose. creating one space where people can talk about, about drugs. So that's one example of harm reduction. In Brazil, once I participate, I remember the clubhouse when there was a hype last year. There was one influencer in Brazil, Dandara Pagu. She had one room where she would discuss harm reduction and drug policy review in Brazil. So remember, there was one carnival, there was a big party like Mardi Gras in Brazil. And there was one Instagram post and people were sharing that on WhatsApp that showed a combination of drugs. So if you're taking acid, make sure to drink water, don't mix this drug with that drug. And most of those initiatives like in Brazil for harm reductions, they are most like grassroots organization. There's not much from what I know so far, incentives about the government. But it's important that the government take some accountability for that because if you invest on that, if we educate people about harm reduction, you can save money later in, in public health and you can use money for public health to prevent accidents as overdose or people like panicking and going to Emergency room, just freaking out. So harm reduction, is education about drugs, because the war on drugs doesn't is being proved. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So if people want to take drugs, they'll take drugs. So <laughs> if they know what are the consequences, if have access to materials, there is a way to to help with harm reduction. And the other thing about cultural appropriation, it's. Very present, especially plant medicines from the Americas, from South America, from Latin America. One example of that is the, the use of uh, mushrooms and telopsin with knowledge from Maria Sabina and that share ancestral practice. And now, for example, like in Oregon, we have been approved for therapy, but it's still like fighting to have that accessible for spirituality. So originally... People learned that it was a way to connect with ancestrality, to connect, to enhance spirituality. And now, that is legal is getting legal. People cannot have access to spiritual use, or need to use one dosage that the doctors recommend. So, one knowledge that was rooted in indigenous community once it came to the Western society it laws its roots values. So that is one example of cultural appropriation in psychedelics.
0: And you mentioned Maria Sabina. I am familiar with who she is, but others may not be. So can you share a little bit about this woman and what she was responsible for creating?
1: Yes, I know about Maria Sabina. I know about her role in the psychedelics, but it's not my expertise. That's okay. I can talk about one other type of psychedelic that I'm also doing research and it's one plant that has also a psychedelic use and in Brazil it's I feel like similar to the mushroom to Maria Sabina we have jurema sagrada in Brazil and other plants as well such as ayahuasca but jurema is one that I'm studying now with one Brazilian friend too and want to get more connecting to that so the use of the plant also connects with the spirituality and ancestrality. And it's is mostly common use in the north of Brazil. And it connects the indigenous uh, tradition of the north and most of the indigenous communities in Brazil are that remains in the remains and they have protected lands on the north of Brazil and also with the black ancestrality. So in Brazil, there is some African-based religion, Afro-indigenous religion, such as candomblé, umbanda, and one of them is jurema. And so it's one plant similar to mushroom, similar to cannabis, similar to ayahuasca. It can be used for healing properties, to calm down, to cure. So it can use either the bark, you can use different parts of the plants. It can be used even for reforestation. There's a plant that grows fast, also has this psychedelic power, that helps in ceremonies, spiritual ceremonies, where people can connect with the ancestral guides from Africa and from indigenous. Jurema is similar to Umbanda, which is one Brazilian religion that makes African values and indigenous values. So similar to Umbanda, is one religion that is very Brazilian. And yeah, studying about Jurema is helping me to connect with my Ancestrality. And th- that's one thing about the cultural appropriation. It's good to share different psychedelics with properties that can address to identity. As we were talking before, people can take psychedelics by different reasons. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons I like to take is to connect with uh, ancestrality. And so sharing that the same way is helping me can help you other people to connect. But you also need to keep in mind to praise the roots and to honor the community, especially a lot of times communities that have been providing psychedelics, they can be target of police operation, of drug war operations, or they might be living in conditions like not having access to food or to basic sanitation. So also donating, supporting and allowing space for people to share the narratives and empower those communities. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, something that comes up for me and maybe you can speak to this more in what you're saying it's the understanding that everything is a relationship and that these plants are living <laughs> beings that we're working with and then also to understand their own ancestry and like what the origins of how these different medicines were used historically and I'm curious you've touched on this it sounds like each person is going to work with different drugs medicines in different ways that are distinct for their needs and also their body and how they're going to respond but I would love to hear if you have any examples or stories you can Share of the things that you've learned or discovered by working with different psychedelics.
1: So coming from Brazil, I always was curious about cannabis, but I was afraid of being targeted, of being arrested by police. And my family, they always say... Don't take you you a black woman you were target. So going to the United States, especially to Portland, I was able to have more access to that. And being an immigrant, it was one thing that helped me with my mental health to help me to keep going on. But in a certain way, I feel like, okay, it's not working maybe for me much. I think I need to be more productive. So that is one way. Sometimes when well, one psychedelic can work for you and then later that use might not address your needs. And there was a time I was I needed to graduate and I had a doing my dissertation. I had a hard time to complete one paper. I know it was on my mind, but I couldn't put that into paper and I wanted it to be something unique. And I also started my work with people of color psychedelic life to talk more about drug policy. And I want to talk more about cultural appropriation, especially through environmental justice as is the one case of environmental justice. It was all in my mind, but I couldn't put that into paper. So one weekend, I took mushrooms with my Brazilian friend. It was my first time, so it wasn't like a super, it was kind of like a microdose. But that week later, I wrote the paper that was the one about cultural ecosystem services and talking about the criminalization, acculturation, cultural appropriation of Cultural ecosystem services, which are benefits that the nature to provide to us. There's also supporting ecosystem services, which are more like supporting the creation of ecosystems, such as nutrient cycling, creation of soils. We have provisioning services such as food and timber and fibers, things that we get from the nature's. Regulating services such as climate regulations, water purification, things that keep the ecosystem existing. And there are cultural ecosystem services such as recreation, spirituality, knowledge systems, aesthetics, cultural values from the nature. But the problem is that a lot of times the legislation, like how can we use a space for recreation? How can we learn from the plants? How can we access spirituality? A lot of those regulations, especially in the society society, they are created not including the narratives of people of color. Thinking about how people have been prosecuted for using plant medicine, for using anti geogen, and how even at some point it's being legal, how it's an example of cultural appropriation or acculturation where you eliminate the historical, the ancestral values of those plants. So The mushroom trip helped me to organize my ideas. Like during the day, it was fun. I had a good time with my friends. I laughed a lot. It was fun. It was like tripping. It's like melting down. But for me, like mushrooms, I like to take every two, three months because it helps me to ground and to organize my ideas. So for me, it's good to take with intention. On the first time, I don't think I have a clear intention, but I feel like my body, my mind needed to, okay, you need to put your ideas, you need to organize yourself to finish this chapter. And I think I came with that intention even with my subconscious, maybe. But it really helps me to make decisions. A couple of months ago, last month, I was very nervous. I was very stressful. And it helped me to calm down and to be more kind to people and to feel like more, how am I talking? Like, what is the message that I'm saying? So... I think it helps me to ground and to yeah, reveal some values. Yeah. For me, I feel like I I care more about the after mm. <laughs> than I'm more concerned about what's gonna happen after the trip and how it's gonna help me to align in life or to reveal values than during. Like the during you feel like some euphoric, but for me, it's more like the post-trip that is worth for me especially using with intention so some key things
0: I personally would like to highlight the intention being one, even if it's subconscious, how powerful that can be. And I'm thinking about what you were talking about with the war on drugs. If we don't have education or understanding on how we could use these substances or these plants with intention, then we're really missing out on the magic that they're providing and it can create harm. And then the other thing that you're highlighting at the end here is, what I would use the
1: word integration. Is that something you would refer to it as? or Yes, for sure, yes. And that's the thing, like when you are in a community that you feel safe, has similar values, where you can have necessary resources or people that have similar background, that might be sharing similar experiences, you can prepare and don't freak out and use if intention and also think about how that can help you with life. And that is one narrative to fight the war on drugs. Because if we can show, okay, we, I can be productive, I can have a responsible use and I can use if intention there is the that book that from Drug Use for Grown-Ups, hmm. from which is talk exactly about that. So kind of like how, how the harm reduction, how the education, how we can take drugs for recreation. Yeah. So having an open conversation and be more liberal and talking about the benefits of psychedelics for people's lives.
0: And I would like to transition a bit by also highlighting something you said earlier so you were talking about in the beginning how for people of color the world is not necessarily built to support or is not created with you in mind so then when working with certain plant medicines or psychedelics it allows space to imagine and to dream what the world could look like and that's really the intention of this podcast right is to start to imagine what could be possible so what is your vision for the world what do you see as possible and how would you like things to look
1: yeah there's a cool question. There's one theory from Caroline about frameworks of reimagination and a lot of this reimagination is to rescue ancestral values, things that maybe were possible that were existing before but with colonization, with oppression, with cultural appropriation those values were lost. So For me, I've been very connected with my ancestral lately and especially through religion, through studying Umbanda, which is one Afro-Brazilian religion. And that reimagination also connects with Afrofuturism because you rescue values that were past. It can be values for the way you think about society, the way people connect with other family values. And when you bring that into the future, like me, I have like a Black identity. Sometimes it looks like I live in a bubble. Not in a bubble, but in my own narrative. So I live in a world, I go to work, but my narrative, I try to have a narrative that doesn't need to exactly meet the society needs because of what I believe that might be fitting my reality. And especially in the psychedelic community, you can find people that are thinking in the same way as you. So I think it's important to have this diversity, like grow in the psychedelic world, so people can be able to create space, to have discussions, to even do psychedelics together and be able to reimagine how the future can be. So for me, this reimagination of what a world can be, is important and the psychedelics with the power of dissociation and later integrating later it's like a a process to keep evolving and to be able to think about new ideas so thinking about for example i think i was talking before about the cultural ecosystem services so think about the knowledge systems what we can learn about psychedelics about plant medicine how they can heal us how they can help with our mental health or physical health if you only listen to doctors and to research that is being guided by medicine, science, we might just believe in one narrative. But if you also consider the voice of indigenous, the knowledge of Maria Sabine, the the knowledge of Meiros in the north of Brazil, that can expand. And that is just possible if you try, if you talk, if you think out of the box, expand the mind. And I believe psychedelics help with that. As you were
0: sharing that, it's so beautiful. I had this image of two things. One, it's almost like how the past and our the ancestors are creating the future. It's like going back to what worked before and bringing that back into the future. And then also this beautiful image of almost circles of people reimagining the world, and particularly people of color, if their voices have been missing. And how we're shaping the world previously and working with plants and working with different medicines and psychedelics to support with that. It's pretty powerful to imagine that being the norm. I know that you do a lot of work with different ecosystems. Is there any other vision that you have personally for the world?
1: Yes, I also work with data. One project that we did with the People of Color Psychedelic Collective and the Portland Community College is a data storytelling project using StoryMap. She's one platform that uses maps, like interactive digital maps, and also use like photos and videos and audio to create a narrative. So telling a story with a map or using maps to support a narrative in the story. So data today is very important. And sometimes we have no idea how important it is. We are all producing data, like you're producing here, like audio for podcasts. And then we have our IPs. So... Everything is data, but there's a lot of data available that we're not be used or maybe not be totally accessible for people that are not data analysts or data scientists. So as a being, also work with data, one of my goals that also aligns with the People of Color Psychedelic Collective be doing this together in the organization is to use data, drug data, FBI drug data too, to share how is the history of arrests in the United States, comparing people of color arrests and the total population of one state arrest. So this project of punishment in place, the students of Portland Community College, they look into the quantitative data of FBI, looking to the number of arrests from 2009 and 2019, comparing how it changed in states that had legalized cannabis for recreational and seeing how just legalizing cannabis reduced the number of arrests And also comparing what is the percentage of arrests based on the demographics of a state, the percentage of people of color and the percentage of people of color arrests for marijuana. Especially in states that have not legalized cannabis, that is still like a high number of people being arrested by marijuana. So in one country, you can see the diversity of drug policy legislation. So in Florida, there's 19.2% of people of color, but the marijuana arrests in Florida are 51.4% of people of color. In Louisiana, there's 34.7 people of color and there is 61.1% of marijuana arrests of people of color. That was data from 2019. With this project, we are creating the data visualization for the project and the People of Color Secondary Collective we are doing interviews with our community leaders to show the qualitative part, and to talk about other psychedelics. Because there's another issue. So if you look into the FBI website for drug arrests, we have by cannabis or hard drugs, we don't have four psychedelics. So it's not even one classification. It's not even easy to see on the quantitative data. So talking to community leaders that have been working, that have been facilitating conversations about uh about psychedelics is a way to also tell that story. So that is one project that is coming from the People of Color Psychedelic Collection. So stay tuned in our website to know more about the quantitative part with the FBI data and the qualitative part with the interviews and creating one narrative through a story map to translate that data and turn that data accessible. So data storytelling, data accessibility, is. Something important and very necessary in the psychedelic community that can help with the harm production.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for doing that work, yes. right? Because data, I can see so clearly as you're sharing all this, it creates power. It creates ability to make different choices and to understand what's not working. And on that note, so you kind of started to share a bit about what we could expect from People of Color Psychedelic Collective. I'm curious, are there any other ways people can connect with you, work with you, partner with you?
1: Yes, there is the webinar, the last one we did, Drugs, Alcohol and Culture, Where Cylosibine, Mezcal and Cannabis Meet. It's available on YouTube. Follow us on social media. You're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. Uh, Reach out with ideas. We partner with Community College in Portland. We also partner with other organizations. We have panelists from the organization and also external partners as well. So, reach out with ideas and also donate. That is one way to keep helping us to support our work so we can provide our time, but some stuff costs money. We need to resource like for promo videos, when you organize one event, host the event. So all that costs money. So donate so I can keep educating the society. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely.
0: Think about absolutely. And before we sign off, is there an invitation you have for listeners? Something they can take an action on or look at differently in their own lives?
1: Yeah. So that was me, Lorena, talking about some work I did with the People of Color Psychedelic Collective. But also we have other members and our advisory board: Ifetayo, that was a founder of the People of Color Psychedelic Collective; Yolanda, Mary, Daniel, Thomas. So. Also, listen to the narrative. There is only my narrative, but we are a diverse group. So follow them as well.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you again for being with us and sharing not only your own stories and also just the work that you're doing with this collective. It feels so important, especially considering the war on drugs, the ways in which society is not working for people of color and how it can work differently in this community aspect that feels so needed now more than ever. I appreciate you. Anything else you'd like to share before we sign off?
1: Yeah, thank No, I just thank you so much for that space, Emily. And yeah, you can find out the information on pocpc.org. So there's our page. Um, yeah, many uh yeah, educational material, past webinars, and future events coming up. And that's a way to reach out to us and know more about the members.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll enjoy your time in Brazil and uh, hope to talk to you soon.
1: All right, cool. Thank you. Bye
0: bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Founding Mothers Podcast. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Emily Reese, and edited by Eric Weisberg. If you want to support the show, please leave us a rating or share this episode with the important people in your life. We'd also love to hear from you if you or someone you know would be a great guest to share about their vision for the world. You can email emily at founding-mothers.com or visit www.founding-mothers.com slash podcast.